so good to see you, so good to worship with you. Uh, I got to tell you, my wife Ashley and I and our kids have been off for the last few weeks. We cashed in a bunch of our vacation time and have gotten away and been gone. We got to see a bunch of family who live out of state. It's been really good. It's been a good time with our kids. But I will say, man, we miss you. Like, when we're gone, we miss you. And while we've been gone traveling, we've been visiting other churches, because this is what we like to do as, as a family on Sunday mornings, but there is no place like home. And uh, the old axiom that distance makes the heart grow fonder, I think, is very true. And uh, it just feels good to be back with all of you this morning. So I'm so glad that you're here and that we get to do this together. As we get started today, I want to ask you to imagine for a moment with me. I want to ask you to do a little bit of a mental exercise, and I want you to imagine that you lived 2,000 years ago. So I need you to go back in time 2,000 years, travel around to the other side of the planet. Imagine that you live in the, the territory that we now think of as the country of Israel. It's dry, it's hot, it's dusty. It's 2,000 years ago. As you can imagine, life was dramatically different than it is today. There were no cell phones, there were no computers, no internet, right? Really, for most people, there weren't even books to read. Communication was very different, very limited. You really only talked to the people who you were in close proximity with. There were no cars, there were no trucks, there were no airplanes, there were no trains. So transportation was dramatically different. You did not travel very far from home. In fact, we know that many people would, would be born and raised and die within a few miles of the place where they were born. So many parts of life were dramatically different. And yet, there were still some common, common things that we would share with, that, with them that lived 2,000 years ago. You still got to eat. You still got to sleep. You still got to have some form of shelter or a place to rest your head. Somebody's still got to bring home the bacon. Or I guess in the case of the Jews, the Israelites, maybe not because they didn't eat pork. But you know what I'm saying. Right? Uh, people still 2,000 years ago understood what we know to be true. That life is not found in an abundance of possessions. But that real life is found in the relationships. It's found in the joys, the highs, and the lows of the family and friends that we do life with. One of the things that stayed constant that entire period of time is the belief that not all days are created equal. It was the belief that when we get to the end of our life and we look back on the years and the decades that we've been given, there will be certain days that will rise to the surface, that will come to our attention more easily, that we will remember even more because they were turning points. They were key moments in our life. They were catalytic events that we experienced. And even 2,000 years ago, there was the belief that we still share with them today that, that some of those events, some of those turning points, some of those moments in our life are so significant that they deserve to be celebrated with a ceremony. And so for today, for us, we have all sorts of ceremonies. Many times when a child is born, parents will choose to have some form of a child dedication ceremony, like the one that I get to do today for a Heartland family. Whenever we complete one level of, of maybe school or education or training, whether it's high school or college or boot camp or whatever it is, we have graduation ceremonies that mark the achievement and send us off into the next chapter of our life. When two people fall in love and want to pledge the, to do life with one another, we have wedding ceremonies. 
And for us as followers of Jesus, there are two ceremonies that he himself gives to his followers. And he says to my followers, I want you to take part in these two ceremonies, communion and baptism. Now, some followers of Jesus refer to these as sacraments. Maybe you come from a faith tradition that refers to the sacraments. Well, sacrament is a word that we don't really use a lot around here because it's really just a big churchy word that means a religious ceremony. And as I said, there are only two ceremonies. There are only two sacraments that Jesus directly gives to us as his followers, communion and baptism. Now, communion, you already understand because we just did it a few minutes ago, if you got here on time. We did communion today. Uh, If you didn't... Maybe come back for 1045 so you get that sacrament in there, right? Um, but we did communion, so, so we understand that, right? And the thing that's interesting about communion is that for the most part, all followers of Jesus really do it about the same way. Now, there are subtle nuances to it, but for the most part, we all eat some bread, drink some juice. We all understand that the bread represents his body. We all understand that the juice is his blood, right? We, we get that. We understand. We are remembering. We are doing this in remembrance of Christ and his death on the cross. But baptism is a little bit different in that baptism gets done a lot of different ways. And so there have been different traditions that have developed around how and when and why to do baptism. And so today, for the sake of today, in light of the fact that we have our annual baptism celebration coming up three weeks from today on August 27th, I want to set aside this morning for us to look at the scriptures and just go back to Jesus, just go back to the New Testament Gospels, to go back to the book of Acts and to see what does God reveal to us about baptism and why do we do it the way that we do it, okay? So as we get started with baptism, I'm going to just be very transparent with you. I have two goals for today, right? Uh, This is why you like coming to Heartland. There's no, like, hidden agenda. I'll tell you what my agenda is. I do have one, okay? Uh, My first goal for today is that every single one of us would walk out of here at, you know, a little bit after 10 o'clock, and you would feel like you understand baptism better than you do right now. That's my first goal, is that everybody would just be able to walk out of here and go, I feel like I understand baptism better than when I got to church this morning. That's my first goal. My second goal is that if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, like if you, you want to be part of the family of God, the kingdom of heaven, like if you, you feel like you want to be with Christ, that's you. You're like, I'm in. How do I do that, right? But you've never made a decision for yourself to be baptized. My secondary goal is that you would make this your year that you would sign up and celebrate this beautiful ceremony that Christ has invited you into and that you would be baptized in three weeks when we gather together for Baptism Sunday. All right? So that's my goal. Just very transparent. Those are my two goals for this morning. So let's jump into it. We're going to get started here. A little bit of background. Anytime I talk about baptism, my history teacher comes out. I'm sorry. I used to be a history teacher, and I geek out over this stuff. So, so where does baptism come from? Well, you might be surprised to know baptism did not start with Jesus. Okay, baptism did not start even in the first century with Jesus and John the Baptist. It actually goes back further than that. It predates that. And so even as we read through the Old Testament, even as you go back generations before the first century, we see that God had given the nation of Israel a form of baptism, a form of ceremonial washings to make themselves clean before him as part of that process. 
We also know that it was used in the conversion process. Occasionally, somebody who was not an, a part of the, the Hebrew nation would come in contact with people who were, and they would learn about the God of the Israelites, and they would be compelled, and they would think, I want to worship that God. I want to be part of this covenant that God has made with your people. Can I join in with that? And so they developed a series of steps in which somebody who was not part of the Hebrew nation could kind of be brought into it. And so these were the steps that, that somebody would have to go through. The first step was that they had to acknowledge and observe the law. God gave Moses the law that governed the nation of Israel. If you were a non-Hebrew but you wanted to follow the Hebrew God, the first thing you had to do is you had to read the law. You had to understand the law. You had to commit to following the law. The second step that you did was you ate a covenant meal. Covenant is like a promise. It's a commitment. You had to enter into this covenant meal. Step three was to make a sacrifice. Usually it was a pure or as pure as possible, a spotless, blemish-free lamb that you would sacrifice to say, this lamb is going gonna, is gonna to absorb the, 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 really the death that my sin is, is worthy of, the wages of my sin. The fourth step was that if you were a man, you had to get circumcised. So this is where men usually dropped out of the process. <laughs> They're like, Really? You wait till step four to tell me about this? I already memorized the law. Like, couldn't you have told me this earlier? Step five was then that you did this ceremonial washing. You did this ceremonial baptism, and you were brought into the family of God. So that was the kind of the origins of baptism. Now, fast forward to the first century, and we get this guy named John, who gets the nickname John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. One of Jesus' 12 disciples, a guy named Matthew, tells us this about John the Baptist's ministry. He writes in, in Matthew chapter 3, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, this was his message, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's like, God's about to do something in our day. Repent and get ready for that. The kingdom of heaven is near. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were what? Baptized. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So John was a prophet, but not just any prophet. John was tapped by God to prepare the nation of Israel, to prepare the world for the coming Messiah. And so John was like a forerunner to Jesus. And John preached this message, like God's about to do something. But you know in your heart you're not perfect. You know that you have failed to live up to God's standard of perfection. Repent and be baptized and get ready for what God wants to do. Well, it makes sense, right? But to everyone's surprise, a little bit further down we read, Matthew 3.13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, if anything, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? John was understandably confused. Jesus, you've never sinned. You do not need to repent. You really don't need to be baptized then. So Jesus, what are you doing? I, I don't need to baptize you. Jesus replied, verse 15, let it be so, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You got to ask yourself, 
why did Jesus get baptized? If baptism is associated with the washing away of our sins, of being made clean, being made new, if, it's, if that's what it's about, and if Jesus was without sin, why did Jesus feel like it was important for him to be baptized? I'll be honest with you. I have never really fully understood this. I had some theories. I had some thoughts. I would talk to people. You know, you have Bible study, and you hear what other people think, and I had some thoughts and theories on why this fulfilled righteousness, but I never fully understood this until I had a conversation with one of our elders. And what our elder said to me is she said this, and she asked me some questions, and it, like the light bulb went off for me. I was floored by how good this was. So let me ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, but think for a second about how you would answer this question. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross? What was he doing? Why did he do that? You might say, well, he went to the cross in order to pay the price to pay for the penalty of our sins. And if you'd say that, I would say, yes, you're absolutely right. No disagreement whatsoever. But as you think about how that happened, it's not like Jesus was just abstractly paying the penalty for the sins of all mankind, and, and it was just sort of very theoretical. No, it was, it was, it was more tangible than that. The disciple Peter writes in one of his letters that we have in the New Testament, he writes that Christ carried on himself. He says that he bore on his body the sins of mankind when he went to the cross. That he literally carried our sins on himself. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was, was then sinful, because Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, and, and God cannot sin. God does not sin. So Jesus did not become sin literally in that sense. But there is a sense in which Jesus took all of our sin on himself. And now you go back to the beginning of his ministry, three years before he would go to the cross, and even in this moment, as he's about to start his public ministry, he comes to John, and he's already thinking about the end. He's already thinking about the fact that someday I will take all of your sin on myself. I will bear the burden of your sin, and I will take that sin to the cross. And already, before it even gets started, Jesus is identifying with us. He's already identifying with the lost, with the broken, with those who are living under the weight of the guilt and the shame of their sin. Jesus knew what the future would bring for him. And so he comes to John and he says, I want you to baptize me. I need to do this. I need you to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness so of course John agrees and look what happens Matthew tells us that in, in verses 16 and 17 as soon as Jesus was baptized he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine what this moment must have been like for all of the other people who were there that day getting baptized by John? Here comes Jesus, this this rabbi that John points out, and he's like, there's the one I've been telling you about. But then he gets baptized, and when he does, the heavens open up. The Spirit of God descends on Jesus, and you audibly hear God speak. This was a massive endorsement of two things. First of all, it was a massive endorsement of Jesus. You can just imagine, this is like God sitting on his throne in heaven, and he watches his son. He watches Jesus, God in the flesh, identifying with the sinners that he had come to save. And as he gets baptized, God himself is so proud of his son. It's like he stands up off of his throne, and he breaks in across eternity, and he says, that's my boy. This is like those moments that we have as parents, at least for me as a dad, where like I've got two boys that are in sports, and there are so many times when I'm at their sporting events, and I'm just sitting there in my you know, reclining sideline chair, which is so good. If you don't have the ones that recline, you got to upgrade now. Those chairs are legit. Like We sit in them a lot, so it's worth the $40 for a good chair. But anyway, I'm sitting there trying to be chill. I'm watching the game, you know, whatever's going on. And, and I'm trying, I know this is not professional sports. You don't need to get into it that, that much, John. But, but there's just a part of me that as a dad, I'll see one of my boys make a play, and I just want to jump up and be like, that's my boy. That's my boy. I'm his, I'm his dad. That's my son right there. That's my son. My daughter, I'm at her dance recital, and she nails a plie, and I want to jump. And I'm like, no, she would kill me if I did that dance recital. But you can imagine what this was like, right? God is endorsing his son. He breaks in and he says, that's my son, whom I love. So proud of him. I'm well pleased. The second thing that this was a massive endorsement was, was that it was a massive endorsement of baptism. In this moment, God is stamping his mark of approval on this ceremony. If you ever have any doubt about the significance of baptism and you wonder for a moment of like, is this really that big of a deal? Like, do I really need to be baptized? Or is this just some ceremony that some religious dudes invented a couple thousand years ago and it's been carried on? But ultimately, God doesn't really care whether or not I participate in baptism. This should answer those questions for you. This should clear up any doubt that you have about the significance of this ceremony. This is a holy moment, and in this holy moment, God is present, and God is aware, and God is cheering us on. This is a massive endorsement of baptism. From this moment on, baptism was central to Jesus' ministry. You might already know that Jesus drove the religious leaders nuts. He drove the religious leaders nuts. The, the John the Baptist drove the religious leaders nuts. But then look at this comparison of what drives them nuts even more. John uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and what? Baptizing. Jesus is now gaining and baptizing more disciples even than John. They're like, what's going on? Now Jesus is gaining followers and baptizing all these people. This was central to Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, was baptism for people who chose to follow him. He would gain disciples. He would have them be baptized. We're told throughout his ministry, that was a normal practice. Then you get to the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He goes to the cross. He raises from the dead. He gathers together with his disciples. He spends about six or seven weeks with them, answering their questions, 
giving them instructions before he ascends back into heaven to be with the Father. And the last thing he says to them before he leaves is their marching orders. It's our marching orders. It's like, you want to know what the purpose of life is and you're my follower? I'm about to give you the purpose of your life. This is what it is. Matthew 28. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, since I have all the authority, let me tell you what I want you to do. Therefore, go and make, who? Disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was crystal clear that what he wanted his followers to do was to spread out and to tell people the good news of Jesus. There is a God, and he loves you, and he wants to give you everything you need. He wants to fill you with eternal life, and, and we want to invite you into that. And when somebody says yes to that invitation, Jesus was clear, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to start teaching them how to live differently. So, what is baptism? Baptism. Baptism is the public celebration of a private decision someone makes to follow Jesus. That is literally what baptism is. It is the public celebration. It is the public ceremony that celebrates the decision that somebody has to become a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And as Jesus said, he went to be with the Father. The disciples spread out. They start doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. We read in Acts 2 that Peter gets up in Jerusalem just a few weeks later in front of thousands of people. He tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. And we read in Acts 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a scene that must have been. But this was just the beginning. As you read through the book of Acts, which records the acts or the actions of those earliest followers of Jesus, we see people putting their faith in Jesus and then being baptized throughout the entire book of Acts. For example, in Acts 12, we read about Philip leading people to Jesus. In Acts, 12, or Acts 8, 12, it says... When they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus, they were, what? Baptized. Baptized, both men and women. It's not just a male thing here. Men and women baptized. In Acts 10, Peter and some Jewish Christians are talking to some Gentiles. A Gentile was anybody who was not Jewish. Up until this point, only Jews were putting their faith in, in Christ and being baptized. But Peter and some, some other Jewish Christians are talking with some Gentiles, and they put their faith in Christ. And they're like, well, what do we do now? We didn't see this coming. While Peter, it says, uh, Acts 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those are the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said... Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Clearly, God has ushered them into his family. Can anybody make any reason why they shouldn't be baptized? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Apparently, nobody had any reason they shouldn't. So he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And ever since that day, 
followers of Jesus have been helping other people understand the goodness of living life with a relationship with their Heavenly Father and have been inviting people who have made that discovery to go public with that decision by being baptized. That's the ceremony that has been handed down from generation to generation that has been handed down to us for our generation and for our community today. And I know I'm biased because this is a big part of my life, but I think here at Heartland, we do a beautiful job of celebrating baptism. We put a huge pool up in the parking lot. We bring in lunch from somewhere, and we have a blast listening to music, hanging out, and just cheering on people who are going public with their faith, celebrating the decision they have made to follow Jesus. And just to give you a taste of what it's like, for those of you who weren't at last year's baptism celebration, let me show you just a one-minute clip of it. Take a look at this. makes fun of me for the John Fisk bump whenever somebody gets baptized. I'm always like, yes, you know, let's go. For those of you who have been baptized, you know what an incredible ceremony this is. You know what a stake in the ground it is. For others of you, you've done the first part. You have repented of your sins. You've been forgiven. You've been welcomed into the family of God. God has poured out his spirit on you, and now it's time for you to do this thing, this, to take this step that has been left undone, to be baptized, to celebrate your decision to follow Jesus. What an incredible opportunity you have to respond to Jesus' invitation to not only repent, but to celebrate that with a ceremony that he himself took part in and that God himself stamped his stamp of approval on. And I know that you might be a little bit nervous. I understand that it's hard to get up in front of a group of people. I get it. I understand that you feel a little anxious about getting all wet and having your hair all messed up. I do. Your makeup might run. Okay, I get it. And I would love to lower the bar for you. And I would love to say, hey, listen, you're nervous. Don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. God's going to love you either way. You just don't get baptized. Like, I would love to lower the bar for you. But it's not my bar to lower. This is Jesus' bar. Jesus, your Savior, the one that you're giving your life to follow, is the one who is like, I want people to put their faith in me, and I want you to be baptized in my name to celebrate that, to seal that mark the moment. So I think for some of you, even right now, you may feel like God is prompting you. He's giving you the old elbow in the ribs, right? Going, this is you. He's talking to you. 
This is your year. August 27th, 2023 is the day that you get to go public with your faith through this incredible, beautiful ceremony of baptism. And I'm so excited for you. Now, I know that people have a lot of questions, and I said I want to help you understand it better. So that's kind of the background. That's where it comes from. It's why we do it. But let me, in just a few minutes, I'll be conscious of the clock, so don't worry. You don't have to, like, rush out of here. But let me answer a couple of the questions that I get all the time about this. Number one most frequently asked question I get by far, bar none, all the time. This is like, I get asked this question in my sleep. Number one question I get is, should I get my baby baptized? Right? I get this. There are traditions that do it. Um, but this is what I would say. Actually, I would answer this question by asking a question. Um, when Jesus gave us instructions to baptize people, he said, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize, what was the next word he said? Them. Yeah. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. He didn't say to baptize anybody else. He said to baptize disciples of Jesus. So the next logical question is, what is a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Let me just give you the formal definition. A disciple is a person who has chosen to follow or has chosen to become a student of some teacher or leader. You could have, anybody could have disciples, but to be a disciple, you have to choose to follow someone, which means we cannot choose for someone else to become a disciple of Jesus. Unfortunately, we don't get to make that decision for other people. Honestly, I wish we could. If we could choose that other people would be a disciple, if we got to make that decision for them, I would carry a bucket of with me everywhere I went. And I would be like Oprah out there being like, you're a disciple and you're a disciple and everybody's a disciple. And then I'd splash them with a bucket of water and I'd be like, and I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? That's what I would do. I would baptize everybody. But unfortunately, we don't get to decide for other people whether or not they want to be a disciple of Jesus. And only disciples need to be baptized. So this is why here at Heartland we would say you've got to be old enough to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You've got to be old enough to understand why you're being baptized. You've got to understand what it means to dedicate your life to following Jesus. Like, if you're not old enough to understand that, baptism is not for you, and that's perfectly okay. Someday you're going to get old enough, and you can make that decision then. But so I would say this is why here at Heartland we, we say you've got to be at least 10 years old to get baptized. I just cannot imagine anybody younger than 10 being able to make a lifelong, really eternal decision that they want to give their life to following Jesus. I just think you got to be at least 10 years old. That's why we dedicate kids and we baptize believers. We baptize disciples. Next question kind of follows that. Next question would be then, uh, do I need to worry about the salvation of my kids if they haven't been baptized yet? Right? Another way of asking this question would be, is baptism required for salvation? Or is baptism required for someone to go to heaven? Like, this is the worried parents here who answer, hear the answer to the first part of the question. They're like, okay, but God forbid something happens to my child. God forbid we're in a car accident or something. And they haven't been baptized. Do I need to worry that they're not going to spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven? Like, I'm not going to see them again because they didn't get baptized? And the answer to this is so overwhelmingly clear. No, you do not need to worry about that. 
There is absolutely nothing in Scripture that supports the idea that you have to be baptized to be forgiven. In fact, as evidence of that, Jesus himself said so. Jesus was hanging on the cross, about to lose his life, about to lay it down. And one of the criminals on the cross next to him puts his faith in Jesus. They have a conversation as they're both dying in their final moments of life. This criminal puts his faith in Jesus, and he wants to know, am I okay? Am I good? Like, did I, I haven't done much here, but am I good? I've just put my faith in you. I made the decision, but that's all I can do, right? Clearly, this guy was not getting baptized. He couldn't go, hey, soldiers, could you bring me down, baptize me, and put me back up? I'll get back up if you let me come down and get baptized. Like, that didn't happen. But Jesus did not care at all that he didn't get baptized. He said, hey, listen, you're good. Where I'm going today, I'll see you there. Like, you're good. You're with me. I'll see you in paradise here in just a couple hours when we both pass. So clearly, baptism is not a requirement to receive forgiveness of sin. It's not a requirement to go to heaven. It's not a requirement. And yet, I would quickly add to that, for those of you who are like, okay, I don't need to baptize my kids. Also, I don't need to be baptized because it's not a requirement. Uh, well, just, I think, if you skip it, just because you don't want to do it, I would say, man, the fact that it's not a requirement for salvation is not a good reason to skip it. Like, clearly, this is a big deal. It was a big deal to Jesus. It was a big deal to God the Father. And so, even though it's not required for your salvation, I would say don't let that be the reason you don't do it. Last question, then I'll wrap this up. Sometimes people will ask me, hey, if my parents had me baptized as a baby, is it okay to get baptized again as an adult? Or is this like, offensive to them? Am I somehow negating the first baptism or am I like making a mockery of what they did? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. It's totally okay. Think about it this way. When your parents chose to get you baptized as a baby, they were standing up in front of their faith community and they were saying, it is our desire that God would be a part of our child's life from an early age. We want to we bring them into the, the kingdom of God. We want to usher them into the family of, of believers. Like we want them to be a part of the church body, right? And we hope that they would live a life of discipleship to Jesus. And so we want to mark that decision for our child. We want to mark this moment of, like, of our intentions. And now, if you've made the decision to be a follower of Jesus, if you've been living as a disciple of Jesus, you are, and, and you choose to get baptized, your decision to be baptized is the complete fulfillment of everything they hoped and prayed for that day when they had you baptized. It is bringing it to a complete circle in a beautiful and profound way for you to stand up and say, listen, my parents started me on this process because they hoped this for me, and now I have made the decision to be a disciple of Jesus, and I am choosing to be baptized to publicly celebrate my decision to put my faith in Christ. It's such a great thing, even if your parents had you baptized, to choose to do it for yourself. I'll close with this. Maybe you haven't been baptized because you're waiting on a spouse or a friend that you think, I want to do it with them. I'd encourage you not to wait any longer. Yeah, it's great to get baptized with somebody at the same time. You know what's also great is to get baptized on your own. And then when they get to the point in their life where they feel God calling them to be baptized and they choose to do it, you get to be in the pool there holding on to their arm as you dunk them under the water. That's a cool moment. 
I know for some of you, you're thinking, well, I've been a, like a really committed follower of Christ for like 30 years and I've never done it. And it feels a little funny now. Like, are people going to think I'm only now putting my faith in Christ? Like, I lived a whole lifetime following Jesus. But no, man, every single year we dedicate people who are like, listen, I finally get it. I was baptized as a baby, but I have never done this myself. I have never stepped into the water to say, Lord, I want to fulfill all righteousness. I want to I be obedient to you. I want to participate in what you've done for me. And to be baptized even after a lifetime of following Christ is such an incredible moment. So don't wait any longer. Think about the significance of this ceremony. Why would you pass that up? I, I, I was just, I mean... Just think, if you don't do this, someday you may get to the pearly gates, and God's going to meet you at the door, and he's going to say, hey, welcome, come on in, I'm so glad you're here. Oh yeah, real quick, one thing, why didn't you get baptized? Man, I, I made it clear in scripture, I sent you that nice young pastor in Wisconsin who prompted you, I, I even nudged your heart, I, I poked you in the ribs, and you knew in your heart, God's telling me to get baptized, so why didn't you do it? What are you going to say? Well, I didn't want to get my hair messed up. Like, I just got the perm, and it was, like, looking good. You know, what are you going to say? So, here's the deal. Say this as we wrap up. We've got a very easy process to sign up. And we're going to put up a QR code here on the screens. I'm going to pray in just a minute to wrap up our time together this morning. So glad that you're here. But if you are, are considering being baptized, if you, want to, if you want to mark the moment, you want to say yes to this ceremony that Jesus has invited you into, all you have to do is point your uh, phone at the QR code that's going to be up here. It's going to open a link. Open the link. It takes you to our website. Fill out the information. We'll follow up with you and get you all the information you need. But I hope that if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Christ, you would consider making this your year. And for those of you who get baptized in three weeks, let me be the very first to say to you, congratulations. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful ceremony, Lord. How great of a gift is this, that you would give us this ceremony to celebrate the life change, the eternity-changing forgiveness that we find in you. Lord, thanks for making it so clear in Scripture and giving us these texts and these stories and these events to look back to. Lord, thank you that it's been handed down to us and that we get to celebrate it today. Lord, I pray for everyone who's going to get baptized in three weeks. Lord, Sunday, August 27th is going to be a holy moment. I know with everything in me that you will be present, that you will be pleased, and that you will be cheering us on. And so, Lord, between now and that day, I pray that you would work in the hearts and minds of people who are getting baptized to prepare them for what you want to do. I pray that it would be a flag in the ground that they would look back on for the rest of their life and go, that day, I got baptized, and God was cheering me on. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone who agreed with this prayer said, amen.